Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It is 2020 in the future, and robots cover the team. Not really. We're still here. It's three years from now, and we're still here. Um, it's Buckeye Talk. Bill Landis, Tim Bielek, and Doug Maurice. We're talking about Buckeyes 2020. We're doing a thing this week where we're looking ahead three years, because on Saturday it's UNLV, and it's a 40-point game, and we're not going to pretend you care about that. So in this podcast, we're going to talk about what the Buckeyes are going to look like three years from now, players, coaches, the Big Ten, everything else. We're going to talk about pizza because we put out a poll about whether Donato's pizza is good, bad, or okay, and Twitter melted. So we're going to talk about that because there are people in the world who have who care more about pizza than they do about Ohio State football, at least the way they tweeted us, which is wonderful. That's I'm great. one of those people. We have some hot takes. We got some divisive opinions here. But we're also going to talk about the team right now, not Saturday, because Saturday they're going to win by 50. Um, but we're going to talk about some things in the team. So, as usual, you can follow us on Twitter at BillLandis25, at Tim Bielek, at Doug Maurice. Go read us at cleveland.com. And also, if you ever have trouble finding this podcast, which is the 19th biggest podcast in the English speaking world, I, I saw that um, the other day. Go to cleveland.com slash podcasts. That's a landing page for all of our cleveland.com podcasts, okay? So let's talk about this team right now. We asked some questions, but there's something I want to ask about because you guys are wondering about the offense. We're all wondering about the offense. And this is something I was thinking about. As you think about what this offense is and people think about JT Barrett and Dwayne Haskins. Urban Meyer's committed to JT Barrett. I think if you're holding your breath on Dwayne Haskins being the guy, um, you're going to drop dead in like two weeks because he's still not going to be the guy unless JT Barrett plays like the kind of game where no human could continue putting him at quarterback. And I don't think he's going to play that kind of game. So we don't want to spend too much breath on this, but we wrote a lot this week. There's a lot of discussion about the play, the plays from last week, the game plan, the bubble screens, the jet sweeps, attacking the perimeter, right? Getting back to that Urban Meyer style of offense. And that fits JT Barrett. That opened up some inside runs. They say they did that because the Army defense gave that to them. And then if you do that enough, then maybe you open up the deep passing game. But if they did go to Dwayne Haskins, they wouldn't do that, I don't think. I don't think that's what they'd be doing. I think they would run the throw it, throw it, hand it to the tailback. Not They run like a pro-style offense in the spread, I think. 
if they went to Dwayne Haskins. So this is fantasy land because it's not like we're saying, will they do this for Penn State? Because the answer is no. But would that, might, might that work? Like we're, we, one of the things we're talking about this week is like, it feels like J.K. Dobbins could get it more. But yet you'd also like to see Mike Weber a little more. But at the moment, J.T. Barrett sucks up some of those carries, right? Because that's the way the offense is designed. And you, if you tell J.T. Barrett, just give it to the tailbacks, you're killing those run plays. The whole thing about those runs is that they're a read and he's a great decision maker. But if you turn it into more of a, here, I'm handing off to you, because you're not going to ask Dwayne Haskins to run 12 times a game, you'd open up about 10 more carries for the tailbacks. And I'm just, I was just thinking to myself, the game plan that is like 25 Dwayne Haskins throws, 20 J.K. Dobbins carries, and 12 Mike Weber carries. And I wonder if that could win the national championship. Am I crazy? No, I think it can. I mean, that's... I mean, it's kind of the offense Clemson did, or Clemson ran last year, and it's certainly the offense Ohio State ran in 2014. I don't think it's the only way to win a national championship. So I, I don't think, do you think that the is, way that they're currently playing is not suited? Is it a better, is it a better way to win a national championship? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, prob- probably. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a simpler thing, I think. I also don't know if Ohio State has the receivers to play that offense, if that makes sense. Um, because they don't have Devin Smith. They don't have Devin Smith. They don't have Michael Thomas. They don't have Michael Thomas. Like their most dynamic players are a couple of slot receivers in KJ Hill and Paris Campbell. And we've seen Paris Campbell's hands. I don't think he'd be very well suited to that kind of offense. Um, which is why I think they played the way they played last week because they want to make sure they're getting the ball to those guys. And if you play in a drop back pro style offense where guys are required to run good routes and get open and then make contested passes or make contested catches. Um, I don't know if that personnel exists on Ohio State's roster. Which which offense would you vote for, Tim? Uh, I mean, I do think there's merit to the pro-style offense, and in a way I think it's got a higher ceiling because the limited <laughs> things we saw from Dwayne Haskins on Saturday, I mean, eyebrow raised, there's no questions about it. I mean, you looked at every single throw of his. I mean, I mentioned on Saturday. One should have got picked off, by the way. Yeah, One of his throws should have gotten picked off? There's a linebacker like right there. It was just a second-team Army linebacker. You don't think he threw it over him or threw it past him? No, I think he threw it over him because he was like five foot eight and couldn't jump. But yeah, you don't think Dwayne Haskins diagnosed that it was a five foot eight linebacker who couldn't jump and decided I can make this throw? No, I think he wasn't thinking, and he just dropped back and said, "I got four throws, let's make them count," and just ripped it and got lucky. Well, Ooh, okay, okay, I see where you're at. I see, I see how it is. All right, but I again, I mentioned this last week. What is wrong with having that confidence as a quarterback? When, no. the, when the other team picks the pass off and runs it into the end zone. So were you on the anti-interception band? No, 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 no. I'm not anti-interception. I'm begging I am, JT Barrett to I throw interceptions. Pro, I am pro-pumping the brakes on four throws in garbage time against Army. Well, what are you going to say if he has like 12 throws? You are, you are killing the buzz on this podcast. What will I say is, when he plays significantly against a good team? Something different, because that will matter. This doesn't matter. So, someone did say, like, what would I, what would ask me this week on Twitter? What would I say if Dwayne Haskins like threw five interceptions against Michigan? And I said, I'd say, look at that gunslinger rip it. <laughs> so I know, but I know, like, I, I know. It's like I'm begging JT Barrett to throw interceptions, but like, it's really helpful to the team that JT Barrett doesn't throw interceptions. I get that. I get that. All right, so Tim, your vote is for what? I'm going pro style, just because. Now, I... now again, it's pro style. It's Urban's never going to go straight, pro, but it would be a throwing offense, handing to the tailback out of the spread. 
look still. But yeah, yeah. The, the Cardale offense. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the Cardale offense worked. It won those. It won the two biggest games of that season for Ohio State. Well, technically three, three if you want to throw three: Wisconsin, Alabama, and Oregon. I, I mean, I don't know, especially what we've seen at JT Barrett the last few weeks of last few games. If that if JT could win those games, we know Cardale did win those games, and Haskins has that arm. I mean, we've seen. In glimpses, I mean, granted, not enough of a sample size, but what we've seen, there's enough there that has you intrigued. You're like, wonder what could he do against a quality opponent? Because we know against a great team, you throw Dwayne Haskins out there, all of a sudden, you know, that opens up the field because defenses have to respect the fact that this guy can sling it down the field. I do do think it's very possible that if you did that and Dwayne Haskins played against a really good team right now, he would throw four picks. Yeah, and you might lose because of it. I definitely think that's that's possible. Let's do another quick thing um, because again, we're not talking about UNLV. The Ohio State would not have won the national championship in 2014 unless JT got hurt. That that the Cardale Jones uh, situation, although crazy, was actually the best thing that could have happened to Ohio State. That theory has been out there since it happened. That. Uh, Cardale, everything you saw with Cardale, the deep passing game, that arm, the way they played, um, was necessary to beat Alabama and Oregon. Um, and even though they were so good that year with JT, it was almost like that JT was the perfect regular season quarterback and Cardale was the perfect postseason quarterback. Uh, I have always disagreed with that because, um, I didn't think that Cardale's arm opened up. I didn't think Zeke went nuts in the playoffs just because Cardale was the quarterback. I think Zeke went nuts in the playoffs because the offensive line played really well, because the receivers blocked really well, because they just were doing some great things. And I don't, I don't, never thought that it was like, well, now the safeties were back because Cardale was in the game, and all of a sudden Zeke ran for 220 yards, and that was the only difference. That was, I felt like that was coming anyway. The, the, the Zeke was coming. He was becoming what he was yeah. anyway. I think. But but what we've been seeing, I feel like the Clemson game and the Oklahoma game adds back, you know, fuel backwards to that fire because JT didn't beat Clemson and JT didn't beat Oklahoma. And so are you sure JT would have beaten Alabama and Oregon? So let's look backwards to that great debate that I think has been there for Ohio State fans for three years. Does what you're seeing now change your mind on what you thought? What did you think before about that? And what do you think now? It hasn't changed my mind. <clears throat> I still think they, the thing that changed is the offense they tried to run. And I, I agree that JT has not gotten much better throughout his career. Um, the 2014 was the best version we've seen of him. But that he was also in the kind of offense that's best suited for him, which was very similar to what we saw against Army. Um, it had a little more of a downfield element because Devin Smith was around. Um, but I think JT Barrett in 2014 running that kind of offense – uh, and somehow was a more accurate passer than two and is less accurate now, I think he could have won a national championship, yeah. Because I do feel like people forget that Devin Smith caught a lot of touchdowns that year from JT Barrett. Yeah. He wasn't – Cardell Jones was not the first quarterback to ever complete a deep ball to Devin Smith. He just went crazy with it in the playoffs. Where are you on that, Tim? Um, I mean, I kind of I kind of agree that the way – I actually going to disagree with Bill and saying just the way I've, we've seen him play in the last six week, last six games is really kind of affirmed that maybe maybe they don't win a national championship because of JT. 
if JT plays, I mean, and thinking about it, I mean, Cardell Jones obviously did a lot of good things, but that team got hot at the right time. I mean, Zeke went nuts through three games. The defense just made play after play after play. Uh, the things that happened around Cardell Jones allowed him to have a better chance to succeed. Plus, defenses didn't exactly have time to game plan. And Alabama had one game of film on Cardell Jones, which I'm sure gave Ohio State a little bit of an advantage in that regard. Um, as far as if JT could have played against those teams, I don't know because, I mean, there would have been a decent chance that we see exactly what we've seen for the last several games is defenses kind of pack in 10 yards from the line of scrimmage, play that eight-man zone defense, and dare JT to beat him with his arm. It works great if you're Ohio State when you have two second-round draft picks as receivers and Devin Smith and Michael Thomas. Now, I don't, now with receivers that really... But they did have two second-round receivers in 2014. Oh, yeah, that makes life easier, no question about it. That's what we're talking about. So we're talking about would they have won it in 2014 if JT had played? You say no. Right. Okay. Because they did have that. And the thing that's hard is that they did it against Michigan State. Again, the mythical yeah. Michigan State game. JT did beat people with his arm uh, that year. I mean, they did. So, I don't know. I think it's it's one of those things. They have a ring. so But people love what-ifs in sports. It's also like the easy side to pick is, no, they wouldn't have won. Because you have proof that Cardell was the guy to win the championship. Right. Right. So. I did not think Cardale was the guy to win the championship when Cardale went in. When when that was the situation that no, presented I don't think I, I think we all picked Wisconsin to win that game. Like, why yeah. yeah. They're on a third-string quarterback. 59 nothing, right? Yeah. Kind of wrong on that one. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's interesting, but it is I, I that's why I think part of this it, this whole season with JT I think is so interesting because while he's playing his senior season, he's also giving you information that you then apply backward onto everything he's done before. You know, that I feel like if he fails to do things now, then you look back and you downplay the things he did in the past, which isn't yeah. fair because he did them. Because he is 27 and 5. And so if he, and it's not he loses, if Ohio State loses to Penn State, it doesn't mean that the 30 wins he'll have by then in his career don't count or don't matter or were a fraud or anything. But I feel like he's, if, if he, if he ends his career without a playoff win, right, that's going to fuel the fire that more people are going to be on what saying is Tim is saying, right? Because Mm -hmm. we have the proof from the Clemson game. We have the proof that Cardale did it. And then if you have, say they get to the playoff and lose again, or say they lose in the Big Ten Championship, or they lose to Michigan, or they lose to Penn State, or they lose to a good team again, right? I mean, that would add fuel to your side, right, Tim? That if they lose, say they lose to Penn you know, if he doesn't beat a good team this year, that adds fuel. Exactly. It adds fuel. So, I mean, everything he's doing going forward is affecting how you view the past, which is why this is such a fascinating senior season for JT Barrett. It seems like there's a rift. It's kind of a canyon when it comes to JT discussion. There's the number side, and then there's the eye test side. And the difference between the two, especially with the way JT struggled in big games, just only seems to be getting wider and wider as time goes on. Yeah, I mean, if you're on, there are people on both. Yeah. That would be an interesting thing for us to do. If we could get like two Ohio State fans, one who loves JT and thinks he's a winner and is a great quarterback and 
and thinks the problems are because of the offensive <clears throat> scheme or short shortcomings elsewhere. And one person who thinks, you know, JT's not the guy and should be benched and let them sit in a room and yeah. argue for half an hour and film death. that. Oh, just argue. Well, I guess they could fight. Yeah. But then, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. We don't only want to talk about JT. We don't only want to talk about JT. Um, but we want to talk about pizza. We want to talk about 2020 a little bit. Is there anything else we want to talk about with this team? Like, what else is happening right now with this team that is of the utmost importance for us to be watching? They're going to beat UNLV by 50. But what should we be watching for? What are you watching for on Saturday, Tim? Well, that actually kind of goes into a question that uh, Chad M. was tweeted at me about four or five minutes ago. He's asking, what is going on with the linebacker room? While several other position groups are struggling, there was preseason hype for them. And I think he's referring to that Oklahoma game that we talked about where it seems like every single play action, all three linebackers bit time and again. And I, it's, it's hard because, you know, we talked about it. We had a video in August saying we thought the linebackers could be as good as Ohio State's defensive line. And, yep. and so far, it just hasn't, hasn't lived up to that hype yet. Why, Bill? I don't know why. I, I honestly, I don't know. I, I, and I don't think if you were concerned about like Chris Worley being played out of position at the beginning of the season, I think maybe a little bit of that's coming to light. Um, Jerome Baker has not played well, and I don't know why that's the case. He 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 was like graded a champion for the Army game. Yeah, I don't know. I was surprised. I mean, they so, but that's where I mean they so. The thing we don't know. The thing we don't know when we say guys don't play well to our and we don't have untrained eyes. We don't know the assignments of each guy. So, like for instance, the play from the Army game where it looked like the fullback just ran right by Jerome Baker. It's very possible Jerome Baker was just assigned to somebody else, and he went to his assignment, and then the guy, the ball carrier who was assigned to somebody else, ran by him. Right. So maybe that's not his fault. And there was a play, I think it was like when Army was backed up, that's one that Baker missed the tackle and then a running back gets off for 25 yards, and that's kind of what starts that 99-yard touchdown drive they had. Yeah, but I, I think everyone would still agree even with that that Jerome Baker has not played as well as we thought he was going to play this year. I think year. Jerome Baker would agree with that. And Dante Booker wasn't on the field against Army. Like, they didn't trust – I know they played their three-safety thing, but they didn't even – we were told all spring and all summer that Dante Booker and Jerome Baker are interchangeable. And they didn't put Dante Booker in there at all. It was Jerome Baker the entire game yeah. until the end when they were up when they were up thirty eight to seven. And, yeah, and it was Baker and uh, believe it or not, tough Borland who. Well, I it was mean, Borland because Worley got hurt. Yeah, and and Borland that, that highlights it more that Booker didn't go in after Worley got hurt. Right. Yeah, but there were things out of Borland, Borland I liked a little bit. I mean, you know, it says something when you step in for the first time ever in college and you go ahead and make and just make some tackles and he he. Did his job with Baker. There's something to be said for him that it was just him and Baker out there the entire game defensively mm-hmm. in that four-two-five alignment. Yeah, no, but the, the linebackers have not been as good as I thought they'd be, and, and I I can't really put my finger on why, and it bothers me a little bit that we're not talking to position coaches this year because I'd like to talk to Bill Davis about it. Yeah, well, and I wonder if it's Bill Davis. Like, yeah. so okay, you have a guy who's been that that position group coach for. 15 years and he leaves and there's a new coach that's Luke Fickle and there's a new coach and through three games it looks like the performance has dropped off I mean I gave Tim Beck a hard time for two years Mm -hmm. I'm wondering about the Bill Davis right now it's not like we know Chris Worley and Jerome Baker can play and when we talked about the linebackers in the preseason we said remember Dante Booker beat out Jerome Baker 
So think about how good Dante Baker, Dante Booker must be if he beat out Jerome Baker and then Jerome Baker had that kind of year last year. Yeah. So we have to assume that Dante Booker, who's an Ohio Mr. Football, has talent and knows how to play the position. So I don't, I don't know what's going on. I think it's possible, and I think that's a good point that's worth mentioning. When I said, what do we need to watch for? And Tim brings up the linebackers. Maybe that's the number one group I'm looking at against UNLV. Because UNLV stinks, but you want to see people do their jobs. So I want to see that position group do their jobs, right? Don't get sucked Mm -hmm. up on play action. Fly to the ball. Make tackles. Be aggressive. Blitz successfully. Cover. You know, you can see that. Yeah, and I, and I would argue that the linebackers are the biggest disappointment of the year because when you look at the things that are struggling, Ohio State's passing offense has struggled. Not like we didn't know that going in because they don't exactly have proven wide receivers. Pass defense, we knew it was going to be an issue because you're replacing three top 24 picks. You can't just replace that no matter what we say. It's almost impossible. But we were told the linebackers, there were, potential, there were multiple first-round potential guys out there and through three games, they have looked anything but that for the most part. Do you think Worley at middle linebacker is an issue? Um, I do not. No, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I feel like he's made several plays where it's like, here comes a running back through the hole, and Chris Worley, he forced that fumble. He's forced two fumbles this year. By Stick, making perfect tackles yeah. in the hole yeah. on a ball carrier. Yeah, the force fumble he had against Oklahoma was picture perfect. Exactly how you want your linebackers to tackle and force fumbles. And I can't remember what the play was, but I remember asking him after Indiana, after we talked to guys after the game and he was walking away, I said, so like, I, I said something about, I guess, I guess you feel pretty good at middle linebacker because he had done something in that game I think it was that same thing. I think he made a picture perfect tackle in the hole mm-hmm. of what of the, th- the kind of thing Raquan McMillan did for three years here, which is you're the captain of the defense, you're setting everybody up, which by the way, I think is an underrated thing that I don't know. No one's talked about that the defense has been misaligned or that their calls have been wrong, right? So, yeah. Um, although I guess if, they, if there's three linebackers getting sucked up on play action and, and getting thrown over the top, maybe there is something with assignment football there too. But anyway, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who's totally to blame for that stuff. Uh, Chris Worley, he wasn't he wasn't really passing the buck. I don't think on that stuff, but he he did say multiple times like my job on that is to is to plug the gap and stop the run if there is a run. So I don't know. I don't know if that means that maybe he shouldn't be held as culpable as the other guys for those play action mistakes or not. But that's what he said. So, um, you know, if you're if you're thinking that he's not a fit, if you do think he's not a fit at middle linebacker, then you're basically saying play tough Borland and make your outside linebackers Jerome Baker and Chris Worley. Yeah, I think they are better with the talent they have and the way guys are aligned to have Chris Worley in the middle, Jerome Baker at the outside, and Dante Booker and Malik Harrison sharing that other outside linebacker spot. Despite what has happened through three games, I do not think that they get better by moving Worley, playing tough Borland, and not playing Booker and Harrison. I agree with that, and it's mostly because like I'm not making judgments on tough Borland based off his play against Army, because that like that is a game built for a middle linebacker to get a ton of tackles. And that doesn't that mean he played poorly. I think he was a defensive player of the game, as graded by the coaches. But did his job. He did his job, but it wasn't like I'm going to see Tough Borland play middle linebacker against a traditional defense and see how he does before I just anoint him the next starting middle linebacker. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's um, let's talk about the Cleveland Food Bank real quick. 
and then we'll talk about 2020, and then we'll get into the great pizza war of uh, 2017. <laughs> Cleveland Food Bank, you can go to clevelandfoodbank.org. And that is a place where you know you can give money that directly helps people. The food bank, every dollar you give them buys four meals for hungry people in Northeast Ohio. Uh, it's been rated a four-star charity by the website Charity Navigator, which lets you know that like they're not messing around. They're doing real work with your real money. I think that's always a concern for people. Um, even in times when there's when there are tr- tragedies, when there are disasters, I always have in the back of my head, if you're going to give, you want to make sure that your money gets to the people. You don't want your money caught up in red tape and bureaucratic stuff. So the Cleveland Food Bank, you can do that. You can donate and know that your money is directly going to help people. So if you want to do that, you can give a gift there. It's a great way to... Um, make somebody you love feel good by giving a gift in their name. You can just do it yourself because you have a couple extra bucks in your pocket. Next time you're hungry, think about somebody else being hungry. Go to McDonald's, get yourself a value meal, and then think, you know what? I'm going to give five bucks so that somebody else can not just get a value meal. They can get 20 meals out of that. Think about that. You just got a lar- an extra large fry. You don't even eat all the fries. Nobody eats all the fries. The ones at the bottom are soggy. Take that money. And give it to the Cleveland Food Bank. So go to clevelandfoodbank.org today and help somebody in Northeast Ohio who is hungry and needs your help. Um, 2020. It's only three years away. The reason we're doing this is we're three years removed from a national championship. They're trying to chase a national championship right now. So we thought, let's look three years into the future. So we're going to do a depth chart that's going to be up on Wednesday at cleveland.com, a 2020 depth chart. We're going to talk about who the big challengers in the Big Ten are going to be. We're going to talk about um, what Urban Meyer might be doing in 2020, what other OSU assistants might be doing. Bill has a story that's already up on maybe what former Buckeyes could be assistants right in 2020 at Ohio State because right now they don't have any. So we're going to get into this right now. Bill, give them a little bit of a tease about the story that you put up on Tuesday, and then I want your pick. You did a list of 10 Buckeyes that you think – could mm-hmm. be Ohio State assistant coaches in 2020. Fill that role that isn't filled right now among the nine primary assistants because Luke Fickle is gone. So tell them about your story and give me your pick for the most likely guy. So I went back and looked to see uh, the last time Ohio State had a coaching staff, and that's head coach and main assistants, not, not including support staff. The last time Ohio State did not have a former Ohio State football player on its coaching staff. And I got back to like 1940-something and like hit a wall because once you get to that point, it's hard to find information online. So I called Jack Park, um, Ohio State football historian, and he helped me get a little farther back to 1926. So 90 years, at least 90 years since the last time Ohio State did not have a, a former Buckeye on the coaching staff. And it's possible that it's like ever with the exception of the very first year of Ohio State football because former Ohio State football players didn't exist that year. Um, oh, yeah. Because yeah. like back in back in 1903, they were like, hey, you were on the team last year. We, we need a coach. You yeah. want a coach? Yeah. So there's probably a decent chance it's, that it's it probably, I feel pretty confident that this is the first time ever that Ohio State has not had a former Buckeye on the coaching staff. So I thought that was interesting. And I thought the most interesting part of it was, well, then who's next? Um and it's possible I missed some guys, and I tried to make the list a little more a little interesting than maybe just the obvious names. 
Um, but I had guys like uh, Marcus Freeman, who is the defensive coordinator at Cincinnati, uh, Jim Cordell, who's the offensive line coach at Urbana University Division II school, uh, Mike Vrabel, who's with the Houston Texans, and Bo Pelini at Youngstown State. Doug helped me with those names. Um, and JT Barrett, I thought, was probably the most interesting name on the list. Because I don't think it's crazy that JT Barrett in three years or four years, I guess, from now is three-plus years from now is coaching somewhere. And Kenny Guyton, who is about that same distance removed from his playing career, is already the receivers coach at Houston. So it can happen. And it can certainly happen when you're as beloved as JT Barrett is at Ohio State, and certainly if Urban Meyer is still the coach then. Kenny Guyton's the receivers coach at Houston? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I assumed he was the quarterback's coach. He That's is not. very interesting. He is not. I think, he, I think he's always been receivers. He was receivers under Herman. He was like a, a receivers GA, I think, and yeah. then was like quality control at Texas for like four months. And then Major Applewhite hired him at Houston as a receivers coach. All right, so who's your pick for in 2020 – if there is a former Buckeye on the staff, who is it? Brian Hartline. I think that's the easiest one. Hartline is currently an offensive quality control coach who is – I'm reading it as like he's half a receivers coach right now, helping out Zach Smith, and we all have strong opinions about Zach Smith. I think it's very possible that he is not the receivers coach in 2020 and Brian Hartline is. Tim, who's your guy? Uh, that makes a lot of sense, Brian Hartline. I mean – you know, we've talked about how receivers coach has been a question mark for the last couple of years, the fact that the receivers haven't gotten open. Why not have a guy as a coach who's done it in the NFL and done it successfully for a long time, a guy who knows how to get open? Hardline was never a guy who wowed with athleticism. He just knew how to get open and catch the football. That's what you need out of receivers, just get open, catch the football. And I feel like a guy with NFL background would fit in very well as a wide receivers coach. Chad, I'm asked when I'm when I'm if I'm going to continue to haze you. I'm not hazing you. <laughs> I'm disagreeing on Brian Hartline, who is was by the way like a crazy freak athlete who had like unbelievable. I think it's three cone scores at the combine. He is a ridiculous combination of quick and thick. Like it, you you remember it, Tim? I know you remember this play. You remember the block he made on special teams? No, was it on special teams or was it on Anthony Gonzalez's crazy person run? Maybe it was special teams. Brian Hartline, when he was a young receiver, lit a dude up with like a crackback block that is like the kind of block you show on film for the next ten years. And he did that because he was a monster. Like, he is one of the most underrated guys. I still remember very distinctly when Brian... This is going to be a four-minute sidebar. <laughs> when Brian Hartline decided to turn pro, he was a, he had been a fourth-year junior. People were surprised that he turned pro. They kind of thought, what is he doing? I wasn't surprised. It was like, again, the examples you learn of his class was gone. He didn't decide to redshirt himself. His guys were leaving. And... The, this new young crew of, of, of like freshmen were, were like sort of taking over the team. And he didn't want to – I mean, it made sense. You don't want to be the last guy of your group. All your, all your, your guys are gone. Yeah. And now you're around as like one of the only older guys on this team dominated by freshmen and sophomores. So he left. People thought he was nuts. He's a fourth-round pick, becomes a starting receiver in the NFL, makes more money than any of us will ever see in our lives, and – he was a monster athlete, and um, I think it is important to keep in mind because he did a lot of things right, but I don't want to undersell Brian Hartline's athleticism. And by the way, my 100%, 100% 
answer on this. Just like that guaranteed the cover against yeah. Army, and I was right by half a point because we used the line from earlier in the week. <laughs> and if we had used the line from later in the week, I would have been wrong, but I would have made the same pick and the same guarantee. But I'm going to hold on to that guarantee for being right by half a point. 100% guarantee Kenny Guyton. Kenny Guyton coaching receivers? Kenny Guyton as the guy on this staff in 2020, as something. Because he is from Texas. Oh, yeah. Which is I mean, Texas recruiting. Yeah. yeah he yeah. played for Urban, which Brian Hartline didn't. I'm not telling you Brian Hartline's not going to be a good coach. I'm telling you Brian Hartline might be like the Carolina Panthers receivers coach in 2020. Um, Kenny Guyton, young guy, great in recruiting. And I'm just being real. Kenny Guyton, this staff needs more diversity. Yeah. I feel that's that's been a big thing that Urban Meyer can be better at. Um, in this day and age, they have one African-American. They have two, two African-American assistants and seven white assistants. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the right ratio. I think he oh, – I think – I mean, I don't mean to make this a whole discussion about this. I think you need to open your mind because there are a million qualified guys out there. Um, And Urban Meyer has a tendency to hire guys that he knows. He didn't do that when he first got here, but now it's like, okay, well, he knew Steve Adaz. He knew Greg Stadrawa, and he knew Bill Davis. And even Tony Alford, who's an African-American running backs coach, he knew. So he's got – but now I'm saying hire guys you don't know. Kenny Guyton played for him. But I think Urban Meyer needs to open his – mind in hiring assistants again expand his horizons i think kenny guyton would be an outstanding hire by 2020 i think think he'd be a popular hire too because in some parts he's still kind of a folk hero especially especially for the purdue comeback from five years ago yeah the houston the houston area recruiting ties are important and i didn't think of that um what about marcus freeman they're gonna have openings on the defensive side of staff first i would have hired marcus freeman instead of bill davis yeah, they're gonna have they're gonna need a new defensive coordinator next year, and I, honestly, I don't know who that's gonna be. We got a question about that, Mike Vrabel. It's not. It's <laughs> not. Why would, why, I'm, a, I'm an NFL defensive coordinator. I guess to go be a college defensive coordinator. Well, I mean, the only reason you would do that is if you think you want to be a college head coach. Yeah, but I also I, think he could be an NFL head coach. I think he could too. Yeah. And again, I've had um, pe- people tell me like from the minute he got to Ohio State and was an assistant that first year for Luke Fickle that about about Mike Vrabel as a head coach. I think a lot of people think highly of him as a head coach candidate. I think he could be either. Yeah. I don't know Mike Vrabel. I don't know what he wants to be. But I do think the idea of Urban Meyer finishing school is a thing. So maybe that's not realistic. He's been here. He left. I don't know. Whatever. He's gone. Maybe that's not the path he would take. Um, but Ohio State coordinator right now is a pretty good gig. Yeah, and I'll say this <laughs> just preemptively. Greg Schiano, I would bet a lot of money, is not going to be here next year. If Bill Davis is promoted to defensive coordinator, that will be a disaster. And we will write it. Yeah. If Bill Davis is promoted to defensive coordinator, that is, uh, it's not nepotism, but what's the word for hiring your friends? I don't know. Friendatism. Friendatism. Friendatism of a guy who's like a three-time failed defensive coordinator in the NFL. Yeah. No offense to Bill Davis, but I don't think there would be more qualified people for college, and again, I say, well, he's been in the NFL for 25 years. Yeah, he's been in the NFL for 25 years. Can he coordinate against the spread? Can he recruit at the high level that you need? So, uh, I agree with that. I think there would be you would have you would have some rising 34 year old guy 
who's been coming up the ranks of college football, who maybe Urban Meyer doesn't know who would be a better hire than that. Yeah, and I think um, even like Kerry Combs would be an interesting promotion. I don't know if I'd do that either. I would do that before I did it with Bill Davis, but I think when Chiano is gone, you need to go get somebody. I'd, I'd promote Larry Johnson. Yeah, I don't, I don't know I if you, know if you want to do that. That'd be interesting too. But yeah, I promote both those guys. I had Bill Davis. Yeah. He's the new guy on the staff. Yeah, I mean he's he's well, I don't know who's been coaching longer. He has the the more impressive pedigree, I guess, as the NFL guy. But that doesn't mean we know coaches get recycled in the NFL when they don't deserve it. Doesn't mean anything. Yeah, Andrew Hawkins had a had a yeah. tweet about that this week. The former Browns receiver talking about how there's a lot of coaches in the NFL who don't deserve to be there. Um, okay. What else do we want to talk about in 2020? Um, let's see. We asked for 2020 questions. Oh, here's one. I said ask us about 2020 food or football. From Sam, a regular thing. Um, Sam, you well. By 2020, will Chick-fil-A give in to market demand and sell biscuits all day? Uh, I didn't know this was a thing. If I'm, I've never had a Chick Fil A biscuit. Is that like blasphemous for me to say? I guess it's like like people. That's when you get a breakfast sandwich. It's on a biscuit. Be like, where do you stand on this on Chick Fil A biscuits? Um, well, I stand on the fact that McDonald's caved and had the all day breakfast menu. If they can do that, then Chick Fil A can make bre- uh, biscuits available all day long. Chick Fil A's a little self righteous. I don't know about that. Well, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I think I think the bigger question is when will Chick Fil A cave and. And stay open on Sunday. Stay open on Sundays. I think never, never. Yeah. I mean, until they're brought by like a, yeah, by a German conglomerate, someone that, who doesn't link it? religion to chicken nuggets. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Hey, 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 <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Get a little hot there on the pod, there, Landis. Yo, yo. I don't want to have to be like uh, putting your photo in my Twitter avatar to stand with you after uh, you're attacked by prominent politicians. <laughs> Hashtag, Yo! Hashtag staying with Landis. Computer's on fire. Um, all right, let's just go to food. I'm out of football. I'm out of football stuff. So here's the question. Gonna, I thought we what? got a bunch of questions, 2020 football questions. I know, they all got they all got buried under by pizza tweet retweets. I think we should, because we're going to talk for like a half hour about pizza. I think, I think we should. People want more than 37 Point minutes of football for the number Here, 10 I got, in the country. I got some questions. Okay. Here, take a, take a guess on offensive and defensive coordinators in 2020. That's a good segue from where we just were. Okay. Offensive and defensive coordinators in 2020. Offensive coordinator is Corey Dennis. Urban, Urban son-in-law. Urban son-in-law. <laughs> no, let me think. I, I got to uh, – can we pause the podcast while I think? I think it's Ryan Day. I think – because Kevin Wilson will be here this year and next year, and then Ryan Day will take over as, def- as offensive coordinator in 2019 and I think still hold that position in 2020. And I actually think if you want to go down this road, he is on my short list of like realistic people to be the next head coach after Urban Meyer. Um, off- what? Wait, wait, wait. I got a text right in the middle of that answer. You just said Ryan Day is going to be the next head coach of Ohio State? No, I didn't. I wasn't that strong because I didn't want to get yelled at. Um, but I kind of think that, yeah. It's just because he coached in Philly one year. You he co- Philly he coached, he coached savage. The birds. He coached the birds. No, because I think that, and I think that the way this all ends is going to end with Urban having somewhat of a say in who replaces him. And just from the way he's talked about, he talks about Ryan Day the same way he talked about Tom Herman. And if Tom Herman was here and I said, oh, he's going to be the next head coach, no one would think that was crazy. I get he's only been here for like three months and has some well, stuff left to prove, but 
I think he's very highly regarded by coaches, and that's what matters when they're making these things. It's not what we think about him. It's what people in the fraternity think about him. And um, I think he's in a good position to possibly su- possibly succeed Urban Meyer depending on the timing of everything. Wow. You are bringing it today. Yeah. So I anyway, can't, he's my I, offensive coordinator. When we get to the pizza, I can't even imagine what this discussion is going to be like. Um, all right. Ryan Day is your offensive coordinator in 2020. And who's your defensive coordinator in 2020? I'm making you answer while I continue to stall. My defensive coordinator think. in 2020 is... I don't have a good answer. I'll just say Marcus Freeman. All right. Tim, you talk while I stall more. Okay, 2020 offensive coordinator. I'm going to go a little off the board here, but maybe not necessarily because this is a similar path to Kevin Wilson. I'm going to say Chad Morris, who's currently the head coach at SMU right now. He was Clemson's offensive coordinator for four years. And just like you mentioned with the Kenny Guyton thing, he has connections to Texas. Former yeah. Texas high school coach. Yeah, form, he coached Garrett Gilbert before he went to Texas and started in that national championship. Well, had to relieve Cole McCoy in that national championship loss to, Al- to Alabama. But Morris was Dabo Sweeney's main offensive coordinator for four years and basically built that offensive juggernaut into what it is now. And right now, he's 9-19 and at SMU. I don't know if he makes it as the head coach to 2020. If Kevin Wilson leaves and becomes a head coach elsewhere again, I wonder if Urban's placing a call into Chad Morris, be like, "Hey, I know what you did for Dabo. Come do it for me." SMU uh, was two and ten, and then five and seven, and is now two and one this year. I can imagine Chad Morris coming into Ohio State twenty twenty with the starting offense led by quarterback. He'd have to be. He'd have to be a a failed head coach, and I don't know if I'd bank on that. Because you only, I think, if you go six and six at SMU, someone else will hire you, and you went five and seven. True, but. But I, I'm also considering the pattern, you that's know. A, no, that's a good name, though. That's that was a that was a good out of the box name. Yeah, I was because I was trying to think of like who the offense coordinator was because I know that was during the Taj Boyd years when they beat Ohio State in the Orange Bowl, and then the next year he had Deshaun Watson before he goes off to SMU to coach the Mustangs. And defensive coordinator, it's hard. I might, I might agree with you on Marcus Freeman. I think he seems like a guy who'll be a good up and comer. I don't know if you can go from being the defensive coordinator at Cincinnati to being a head coach, but I think you could parlay if you have success at that level to going up to the next level and moving over to Columbus. I could see Luke Fickle putting in a good word with Urban, like, "Hey, Marcus is looking for a little more. What do you What do you say you bring him up here, and make him defensive coordinator? He could be a head coach in like three years after that." Yeah, Marcus is Luke's guy. Yeah, when Luke. Went to Cincinnati, all you knew is that Marcus Freeman was going to be on his staff. You didn't know anybody else. Um, that's I think it's a really interesting name. All right, I'm going to go offensive coordinator is Tim Beck, and defensive coordinator <laughs> is Ryan Stamper. Oh, who, Ryan Stamper's good. Uh, is a former two-time captain for Urban at Florida uh, as a linebacker. He's I'm looking at his bio right here. He's been at Ohio State with Urban from the start. And is a player development guy. I'm a little surprised he hasn't already. Like, I'm a little surprised that he's not the linebacker's coach right I now instead of Bill Davis. Be. I thought he was going to be. So, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't want to do that. But he's a very successful, he was a very successful college football player. Uh, who had great leadership characteristics as a football player. Um, I mean, he, he, he's Urban Meyer's version of Marcus Freeman. I mean, it's like, yeah. they're, they're, I think, you know. So... If if Bill Davis, let's say Bill Davis is here a year or two, and then 
he leaves and then Stamper becomes a linebacker's coach and then somebody leaves and then he moves up to coordinator. Maybe he'd be a guy. I think he's a guy to watch. I mean, again, I think he's respected within the program. I think he has a lot of responsibility within the program and dealing with guys. I think the players uh, have good relationships with him. So um, I think it's just a matter of maybe does he want to does he want to go into coaching or does he want to do something else? So who's your actual offensive coordinator? <laughs> do I actually have to answer Zach Smith? That's also a terrible answer. Uh, my actual okay. offensive coordinator um, is uh, Steve Adazio. I'm trying like to working think, under Urban. Yeah, like are we? Because yeah. what are we? Are we thinking like we don't think that it could be a recycled Urban friend? No, no. I think, <laughs> I think that's that's the safest bet to make. It be yeah, I'm pretty sure Ohio State fans are already thinking how close to Tim Beck is Steve Adazio as far as like you know will the offense pretty much look the exact same? I mean, Steve Adazio was a coach with Urban and then became the coordinator at the end after Dan Mullen left. Adazio became the coordinator and then things went downhill a little bit. How about Dan Mullen? Like if Dan if Mullen he, is on like the if Dan Mullen goes from like Mississippi State, I know like people I saw Ralph Russo the AP guy was tweeting about about Dan Mullen this week like Nebraska should have hired Dan Mullen instead of Mike Riley. So let's say that after this season Dan Mullen gets a better job quote better job, and then he's at the quote better job in like eighteen and nineteen, and then gets fired, and then doesn't have a job, and then Urban hires him to be the coordinator in twenty twenty. Here's another wild card. He was like, a really good offensive coordinator for Urban, and yeah. he's Urban's guy from the start at Bowling Green. He is in on the ground floor with Urban. So he, I think if Urban ever could, just like Urban's running through some old friends, if Urban could ever get Dan Mullen, if, if Dan Mullen ever was in a spot where he didn't have a job, he'd be at Ohio State in half a second. Yeah. What were you saying, Tim? I was going to throw in another wild card, another coach who, if he fit, if he flames out, could be a guy. Gus Malzahn. There's talk, people of Auburn, maybe they're not, they're worried about Gus, because, I mean, he got, yeah, he got to the national championship game in his first season, but he really hasn't done much since then. If Auburn gets him out, could you imagine that marriage of Urban Meyer and Gus Malzahn offensively? And it really is, I mean, it's former head coach rehab at Ohio State. It's like, if you have a bad ending somewhere, and you have to go back to being a coordinator, where better place to go? Then Ohio State. Head coach rehab. Sounds like a reality show. That would be good. Hey, Gus, we're just going to have some Cleveland.com cell phone cameras follow you around everywhere you go for a year. Are you up for that? Um, how do we film the conf- who, How do we set up the confessional room if we do that? Yeah, that can be in your apartment. Gus Malzahn, go to Bielik's apartment every Wednesday and talk into Bielik's cell phone for an hour and talk about all of your just, problems. Just complain about literally everything. Yeah. And then you can watch The Simpsons. I have more 2020 questions. Gosh, too much football, Landis. Simple, Let us talk simple, about pizza. Simple yes or no. Question from Jordan Steele. <sighs> Will Ohio State win another national championship by 2020? Oh, my God, Jordan Steele. That's a good question. <laughs> oh, wow. Pause it. Um, <laughs> I've been listening to this podcast called This Origins Podcast yep. about... Uh, from James Andrew Miller, who does all kinds of stuff. But the begin, the first one, like the first five, are all about curb your enthusiasm and about how like they improv everything and everything is like a structure and then they improv within it. So our podcast has a structure and we have to improv within it and our improv blows today. <laughs> I can't think of anything. It's like here's a question out of the blue that's deep and deals with three years from now. What's your insightful answer, Doug? I don't know. Can we talk about pizza yet? You can just give a simple yes or no and not be held to but it. But I, I have to believe that people are going to come back and play, replay the podcast and hold us to well, it. We'll be I'll, dead go, then. I'll go first. All um, right. 
Throw Bielik. Yeah. When, whenever we don't know what to say, throw Bielik in front of the I train. I kind of... <laughs> this is going to be optimistic Tim again talking. I say, sure, why not? If, no, that's not... That's they've only got it really... <laughs> the way college football is right now, it's Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, as far as consistency, and then everybody else. So if yep. you're Ohio State, you're thinking you just got to get past two teams and you're the national champions. You're telling me in between 27, between now and the start of 2020, they have three years. You can't tell me that once they can't get one year out of three, they can't get past those two teams. And the thing that I do find interesting about Ohio State's future is their national championship was fueled by an unbelievable recruiting class, by one of the great recruiting classes of all time in college football history. And you know, we can go back in 10 years and look through it and look at the the pro careers that that Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott and Darren Lee and, and Von Bell and all those guys have, Eli Apple, all those guys have had. We can go through and do that. But you already see what they did. You already see what they did with that national championship with the year they had in 2015, what they did in that NFL draft class in 2016. And, and I think 17 and 18, both those recruiting classes, the current freshmen and the guys who are going to sign in February – are both shaping up as that potential level of recruiting class, right, Bill? Yeah, that's why I say yes. And I think they'll. I mean, it's not what. I've, don't hold me to it, but yeah, I think they're going to win. But it's like, oh, could Jeffrey it. Okuda and Baron Browning and Trayvon Grimes and Tate Martell and Taron Vincent and name the other five top. 20 players they have in the 2018 class. Can that group of guys win a national championship? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I can. Yeah. So, um, and here's here's another thing that is going to be really interesting. And this, oh boy, this is like another story. There's going to be a test for Urban because basically... His career at Ohio State has been defined, well, not really. There's three. I was going to say defined by two quarterbacks. Urban had Urban had Tebow, Florida, and then when Tebow left, things got sideways, right? It's more complicated than that, more convoluted than that. But you look at 2006 National Championship when Tebow was a freshman and the, and the third down quarterback or whatever. Then... 2008 National Championship and 2009, they're, they're, again, one of the two best teams in the country and lose in the, the SEC Championship game to Alabama. And then he leaves. Things were already getting sideways a little bit at the end. He leaves. 2010 happens, and Urban's done. So Urban got his feet wet with Braxton Miller. It really, I mean, the one thing you have to you have to admit is that Urban has done a stupendous job here, and I think anybody... I mean, this whole, I think it's been a fake conversation started by Paul Feinbaum or whomever else about, like, is, is Urban underachieved? I mean, it's a ridiculous notion. You can't, you can't talk about a guy who has been, um, you know, was undefeated in the regular season his first two years, hasn't lost more than one regular season game, has a national championship, and say, has he, has he underachieved? It's a ridiculous notion. But a lot of things, the way things set up for Urban considering I thought Ohio State was going to be under a dark cloud and all this stuff, they're actually on the field stuff. Once you got past the NCAA stuff, the on the field stuff, especially for the way Urban operates, and then he created a lot of it, so it's not like he only fell into it, but he inherited Braxton Miller, and Braxton Miller for two years was free offense. Figure out what you want to do, but in the meantime, let this guy run around. 
He will solve your problems. You don't have to do too much heavy lifting. 2012 was Braxton, Braxton, Braxton. 2013 was Braxton Hyde, Braxton Hyde. There wasn't much else to that, and they won every regular season game for two years doing that, and that was handed to him. That was a gift. Very few coaches, even at the level of Urban Meyer, walk into that. Urban, Nick Saban didn't walk into that at Alabama. Didn't walk into Braxton Miller. Then in 2014, when Miller got hurt, it turned out that they had recruited a guy in JT Barrett who was in many ways the ideal Urban Meyer quarterback. Credit to them for picking him out. Credit to them for finding him and developing him. But he stepped right in in 2014 as a redshirt freshman. And because of who he is as a leader, as a thinker, as a person, as a worker, he was more – we're talking about like, oh, is Dwayne Haskins – I was thinking about this one, talking about is Dwayne Haskins game ready. It's like he's the same age JT was. Now, you didn't have a choice with JT. Yeah. You, had, you had to put him in. But he's the same age JT was. And JT, guess what? Turned out to be game ready. He didn't have a choice. He might not have been game ready for Virginia Tech. But he was game ready by about week four, okay? So JT, and then ever since then, it's been defined by JT. It's been JT, then JT's hurt, then then JT's in the battle. Now JT's the guy. Now JT's carrying a young team. Now JT is, is the leader of a team. Is he good enough? Everything's about JT. It's going to be very interesting for Urban Meyer going forward when it's not about JT anymore. Just because, and it's not that JT is a, a me guy. He's the opposite of a me guy. But just because he's the quarterback and he's been around so long, everything that happens is about him, right? Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a test for Urban Meyer, but it's also going to be an opportunity for Urban Meyer because you're going to have a different guy, whether it's Haskins or Burrow or Martell or Emory Jones. He's going to be different than JT, right? And what's that going to look like? It's going to be a test, but in many ways, I think it's going to be an opportunity to redefine this offense because you can, A, pick the guy who's running it because you're going to have a smorgasbord of options. And they're all, they all do some similar things, but you could line them up and you would know exactly, well, this guy's a little bit different than that. They don't have four guys who are the same with Haskins, Burrow, Martell, and Jones, right? No. That's not four same guys. That's run threat. That's great arm. That's run the zone read. That's run around like a maniac. That's all kinds of things you want. Yeah. So you can, A, pick the guy you want, which is the guy who wins the job with his skill on the field. But also what you want to be as an offense is going to influence that decision to some degree. So it's a great opportunity for Urban Meyer to get to do that. Yeah, and I know we're pushing the food, food discussion back a little bit, but going back to Urban Meyer in Florida, how about revisionist history for you? What if Cam Newton never gets in trouble? If he, gets, if he never has to leave Florida, if he fills in right away for Tim Tebow, Urban Meyer could still be there for all we know, and maybe Ohio State doesn't get him after the 2011 season. And it's it's crazy to think how different that little thing affected two programs in such different ways. Yeah, I mean, it's someone had asked me that um, on Twitter during this whole thing with Haskins and, and Barrett uh, of is Barrett Tim Tebow and Haskins is Cam Newton, and Cam Newton and Tim Tebow were only one year apart. And people have always wondered, like, what? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, now that's the thing is, so Tebow, as a junior, wins the national championship. As a senior, they're number one. They're, they're number one, right, in 2009? Going I to think, the SEC championship yeah, and lost Alabama? Yeah, they think they were wire-to-wire number one, I want to say. So, 
I mean, it's not like you would not have replaced Tim Tebow, honestly, one of the great college football players of all time with Cam Newton. But I bet, I mean, there would have been people down. I mean, you, everybody, you see what Cam Newton is. If Cam Newton would have been doing what, what he ended up doing in college and as a pro, if he had been doing that in the Florida spring game as the backup quarterback, there are some people who would have been going crazy saying, how are we not playing this guy, right? Yeah, and then instead of, Instead of John Brantley, and we all know what happened with John Brantley the, and Urban Leaves after that, Florida's offense has not been good since Tebow graduated. Just a, That's a fun bit of revisionist history that in turn affects Ohio State to this day because it's like the butterfly effect. What if that doesn't happen? Where is Ohio State? Maybe that's a conversation for another day. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I do think it's interesting. Um, what ifs are always interesting in sports, and I think there obviously were a lot of things in play with Urban um, about his life, about the pressures there, um, that, that I think he may have ended up where he was anyway. But if you have Cam Newton, again, quarterbacks solve problems sometimes, right? Quarterbacks can make everything easier. And if you had had Cam Newton just sitting around waiting to be the guy and you win a national championship with him, the way Auburn ended up winning a national championship with him, then that does change the whole equation, I think, of, a, of, of how any coach would think about himself and think about his program and think about his future. Because you would say, to your, that's always a test for a coach, I think, right? I mean, you go from one era to the next, that, that, um, which I think is a plus like for Jim Trestle, that he, he, he won a national championship with, uh, with Craig Krenzel. Then he transitioned to the Troy Smith era and had an unbelievable success uh, with Troy Smith. They went to the national championship game with Todd Beckman as sort of an in-between quarterback, and then they won a heck of a lot of games with Terrell Pryor, that when you can string that together, um, that's a pretty interesting thing. And so that's going to be, a, again, a test for Urban of he was he, he they were great with Braxton, and then they've been great with JT, and then can you be that great with whoever the next guy is, regardless of who it is, whoever you pick? I just had a Back to the Future Part 2 moment. I'm envisioning uh, Christopher Lloyd with the chalkboard explaining to Marty about why what they did in the future and the past has suddenly affected the present. I'm just thinking Cam Newton is that point in the timeline where if you have a 2017A, I can't imagine what we're talking about. Yeah, we might be talking about Bo Pelini as the Ohio State football coach. Um, all right, I think we are at our pizza discussion. Landis is done making us talk about football and we are going to talk about uh, pizza in Ohio. And we are going to talk about, in particular, one question that has divided our fan base. The poll is over. We had people chiming in. And the question is a simple question on Twitter, Tim. Sometimes a simple question can start a war. Quick thought on Donato's Pizza. Donato's Pizza, big here in Columbus. Was big in Cleveland for a time, not anymore, I guess, right? You're saying they're gone from up there? Right, yeah. There was one about 10 minutes away from my old house where I used to live, and that turned into a bank. So, um, but I think a lot of people in Ohio know Donato's Pizza. It is a thin crust pizza. It is a cut into squares pizza. They put a lot of toppings on, right? That's a big thing. Like when you get their pepperoni, the pepper you can't see a spot that doesn't have a pepperoni on it. Right. Final poll, the choices were great, okay, and bad. 41% great, 40% okay, 19% bad. 
But the bad comments are hardcore comments, and particularly from other people on the Ohio State beat. It's a vocal minority. Very vocal. Jeremy Birmingham from Land of Ten, Austin Ward from Land of Ten, Ari Wasserman from The Athletic, our old friend. Very strong on anti-Donato's feelings. Jeremy Birmingham said, my opinion is that it's a bottom-tier pie. Austin Ward was aghast. Why isn't there an option worse than bad? Um, So there have been some very strong opinions. But then we had our own Chris Fedor check in. There aren't many, maybe any, pizza places in Ohio that are better. I bring back multiple pies when I come back from Columbus. So um, there is... I never knew Donato's could be so divisive. My daughter, I I just saw a comment. I said, how would someone know this about me? And that it's a very, it's my Donato story. And then I realized it's my 13 year old daughter tweeting at me in all capital letters. You used to like Donato's and then you overdosed on it. Don't blame the pizza. Blame yourself in all caps. (laughs) That is an accurate representation, but I also will defend myself on that because I would definitely vote bad on this. So there are a lot of people with strong opinions on the bad, but we are excited by the fact that we have Optimistic Tim, who is here with his pro Donato's comment. And then I'm going to just read a list of the anti-Donato's comments that we got on Twitter. But first, Tim... Your defense of Donato's Pizza. I'm going to preface this by saying that I have gone through Donato's withdrawal, having not lived here for a few years, being in Cleveland where Donato's didn't exist. Um, Donato's, I'm stunned how divisive this is, because every time I get it, it's fantastic. And I'm the kind that I don't get it with the truly thin crust. I get it with the more traditional crust. It's a little thicker. But that's that's like the alternate version. Is is not when you say Donato's pizza, do not most of us think of the traditional thin crust style of pizza? Yeah, but if you can get a, a thicker crust that's still cut into the square fashion, that still has the same kind of toppings, the same kind of sauce, the, the same kind of those different things. That's how I go for it and I, it's fantastic. You know, it, it's pepper like I, I'm a big fan of the pepperoni pizza, and I would love to actually see if they count 100 pepperonis that they put on every large pizza. I don't know if they actually count to 100. Maybe if someone is working at Donato's could answer this question for us before next week's podcast. That'd be fantastic. I'd love to know. But the pepperonis are always crispy. There's The sauce is fantastic. And maybe I'm the rare person who I don't judge my pizza completely by crust. Ugh. My heart is breaking to hear you say that. Okay, well, go ahead. My parents always used to tell me that the crust was the best part of the pizza, and I always was I gave them a weird look like, what are you talking about? Crust crust on a pizza is just another word for cooking. Oh, my. Say that again. <laughs> I, I interrupted you because the, the guttural noise erupted from my body involuntarily as I began to think about what you were about to say, and then I interrupted what you were actually saying. What did you just say? Well, let me backtrack. No, no. Say what you just said. <laughs> I, I don't think crust is a, just don't think crust is an important on pizza as everybody gives it credit for. I mean, I don't mind. I, I don't choose my pizza specifically based on the style of crust. But I am a big person. <sighs> I know I'm breaking Doug's heart. I'm a big person when it comes to crust. I'm getting off topic a little bit for dipping sauces. 
And this leads into another debate that we can have in a few minutes when it comes to my choice of fast casual pizza places. Wait, wait, wait. You care about crust for like for like breadsticks, but you don't care about it for the pizza? Well, it's it's not a ruling factor in what I get. I will leave it at that. There's other factors as to why I pick where I get my pizza from, but crust is far down on that list. Wrong. I, I, Landis, what were you doing? Were you Big, Ten, Big Ten conference call. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, how was Urban? He was good. Uh, Joe Burrow has been cleared. Hey, uh, congratulations, Joe Burrow. Johnny Dixon did not play because of a hamstring issue. Hamstring issue. All right. Um, so, Tim. Okay, so here's the thing. I think East Coast people, Bill and I gr- both grew up in Pennsylvania, care about bread a lot. <laughs> In relation to all foods. So when Tim... What are your parents' names, by the way, Tim? Uh, Glenn and Charlene. This is a message to Glenn and Charlene Bielek. Where do they live? They live in Brunswick. Which in is Brunswick, Ohio. And they both are probably going to listen to this in a week. <laughs> I commend you for the way you have raised your son and the messages and lessons you attempted to <laughs> impart to him about the value of crust in pizza. In fact, I know for a fact that we have done a poll previously in a pizza discussion about what is the most important part of the pizza, the cheese, the sauce, or the crust. And I think crust won. And so I understand how difficult it must be for you, Glenn and Charlene, to have a son who was taught the valuable crust lessons that you taught him, and yet today uh, has refuted and ignored your teachings and sits here today as a man who can, on, a, the mo- on the 19th most popular podcast in the English-speaking world, say that I don't care about crust on pizza. It is a travesty. I say I respect all different kinds. I don't have a particular favorite is all I'm saying. It's just it, they're all good. I appreciate every single kind. It's just not... The final factor when I pick a pizza. There are good good crusts on all sides. Um, (laughs) I'm an equal opportunity person when it comes to that stuff. I'll eat thin crust, thick crust, crunchy pan style, very chewy. You're just just a crust. I mean, I was going to say, I don't want to say what I was going to call you. (laughs) Because it's not a proper thing to say. But to be that, the lack of discernment. In your crust, so if I if I put cheese if I put cheese and some good pepperoni on a piece of construction paper, would you eat it? <laughs> no, because it's like, well, I mean, pepperoni is pretty good. Well, it has to be dough. I mean, I, it literally I, has to be dough. That's the I've never had I've never had paper before, but I'm pretty sure paper tastes awful. I eat, I eat paper sometimes. Would you eat? Uh, would you eat? What do you think about like like bagel pizzas? You're good on bagel pizzas, like French bread pizzas. Oh, I've had, I love French bread pizzas. You but know, you think but that that is the same thing as like normal pizza crust? No, I I know the difference. It's just I'm not <laughs> asking you if you know the difference. Like clearly, you have eyes and you can see the difference. You don't have. You see, there's no taste difference. There's no preference. Well, I don't have a preference. They're they all get out of here with your weak pizza <laughs> takes, Tim. This is this is. Now, here's the thing. Bill and I, I'm I think, get roasted are on Twitter over, the rest of the week. we are over on the other side, on the bread side of things. Because, like, yeah. sam- like, steak sandwiches and all that stuff, like, subs or whatever, when you talk about, it's all about the bread. It's all about the bread. And to me, pizza is all about the crust. Mm-hmm. And you are on board with that. 100%. And by the way, and I don't mean to only make this about cutting it into squares. 
Here is, if you have an argument about whether a pizza should be cut into triangles or cut into squares, here's the only thing I would ever say to the square cut pizza people. What about those pieces in the center yeah. that don't have anything to hold on to? It's, it's wrong. Well, like, you eat it with a knife and a fork. That's the thing. It's proof the only that that is the wrong. If there is a portion of your pizza that you can't eat because, and nobody wants those. Who in the world, right? Nobody ever says, I'll take, <laughs> he like just raised his finger. Well, let me. No one, when you're, cu- when you're eating a pizza cut into squares, nobody ever says, oh man, can I get that slice in the middle, that square that's undercooked and has nothing to hold on to? Is it okay if I reach around the crust and dig that out first? No one in the history of pizza has ever done that because that's proof. But in a triangle pizza, you get eight slices, everybody's equal. Yep. Like again, You raised your finger. What's your finger? Well, I mean, I'm not going to go out of my way to get the middle piece of like a square pizza, but if it's there, I'll take it. But it's always last. It's yeah. always last. Have you ever eaten a square pizza and not had those be the last four slices? Well, no. The last one for me, if I get like a Nato's pizza, are those corners. Oh, my oh, God. God. That's the I'm, best part. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going to have a baby. That's I'm one screaming. bite. You like oh literally toss it in your mouth and that's a but slice. I'm like, it doesn't taste good. I'm like, <gasps> that doesn't, that's not even a slice. Oh, my God. I can't breathe. I think Doug's appendix just burst. <laughs> I'm sorry I screamed into your uh, into your ear on the treadmill. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm, I can't. Rest I'm in, hyperventilating. Here's rest. what happens to those corner slices when my family makes me get the nattos. First of all, I eat two of them in the car yeah. because those are the first things you eat because they're the best one. I know they're one size, but they're like an amuse bouche. <laughs> they're the amuse bouche of the pizza world. There's the that's the only thing that makes a, a square cut pizza worthwhile is that you end up with these tiny little crust corners that are all crust, and then. I can't eat all four of them. I have to save the other two so that one of my daughters gets one and one gets the other because everyone in this family acknowledges that those are the best pieces of a square cut pizza. I think I'm going to begin a funeral for my mentions this week, and this won't be the only time I say this. Rest in peace, my mentions. Blow him up at T-I-M-B-I-E-L-I-K. Just tweet hashtag pizza crust at Tim Bielek. Oh, I've gotten two separate tweets in like the last hour on the complete opposite sides of the food gate of this food debate. It is quite a debate. So, All I know is I have Alan Kitchen in my corner. Yeah, you and Alan Kitchen. Tough on dying on that hill, Alan Kitchen. (laughs) Um, all right, Landis, check in on this. I need to, uh, I'm going to take a little break over here. What am I checking in on? You're checking in on, you were out doing work while Tim and I did 10 minutes on pizza, um, setting it up before you came in. Um, where do you stand on Donato's? And then I have a theory about sort of like, I think there's a thing with Donato's of whether you're a native Ohioan or a non-native Ohioan. Yeah. And also I was going to tweet this and then I didn't want to make everybody mad, but I don't, now I'm wound up. I'm gonna, I have never written a book, but when I write a book, it's going to be called Ohio Pizza is Trash, mm-hmm. and 50% of you are going to love me, and 50% of you are going to hate me, and you're all going to buy it. I mean, you can think Ohio Pizza is good if you've never left Ohio before, and even then, only if you've ever had like a Red Baron out of the freezer at your local grocery store, because even that's better than the trash they try to pass off as pizza in Ohio. Um, yeah, Donato's isn't good, and... <laughs> Donato's is like below Little Caesars for me. Okay. It's whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. Because that Little is Caesars. False. No, it's not. Because it's about expectation. <laughs> Little Caesars is a $5 pizza. You know what you're getting. 
Yeah. If I'm paying 20 bucks or whatever it is at the Nottos for a pizza, the thing better taste good, and it doesn't. It tastes like what everyone says it does, cardboard covered in sauce. It's awful. Which is a literal tweet that I was yeah. just looking at. DiGiorno is three fifty and is way better than a $5 Little Caesars. Okay, okay but we're not talking not, about... We're not here to argue the merits use, of Little Caesars. Don't use your Little Caesars hot takes to defend Donato's. Because I do... Price... Do you agree, Tim? Tim, how would you factor price into this pizza conversation? Because it is similar to the 10 miles for a blizzard, one yeah. mile for a McFlurry conversation. But by the way, both my children said the McFlurry, which mm. got them grounded. Did you trade week. them in for new ones? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> if you can get two and a half Little Caesars pizzas for one Donato's pizza or whatever, that has to be a factor. In it. How do you factor cost into this, Tim? I, I, well, let's just say this. I'd rather spend $11 on a Marco's pizza than five on a Little Caesars pizza. What was that brand? Marco's. What's Marco's? You've never had Marco's pizza. No, oh, is it Ohio? No, I haven't. I don't eat good Anybody pizza. who likes Marco's, tweet at Bill Landis 25 and tell him what yeah. he is missing. I look forward to hearing from I am a Marco's truther, but... My point is, it, it's the same thing I said for the blizzard. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a believer in the in the theory of you get what you pay for, and when you pay for a five dollar pizza, yeah. you're going to get a you, pizza that tastes like a five dollar pizza. That's we're not. I'm not disagreeing with that. You get what you pay for. What am I paying for at the Nottos? Art supplies. <laughs> <laughs> there. So here's the thing. Again, we must acknowledge the fact that Tim is on the right side of history on this, according to our poll, which is 41% good, 40% okay. It's only 19% bad, but the people who don't like it are very strong about it. And I think one of the things is, if you are not from Ohio, you have a lower opinion of Donato's than people who are native Ohioans. Now, that's not across the board, but for instance, Austin Ward who came out sizzling on this topic. Hot. Super hot. Pro or anti? Anti. is from Wyoming. Yeah. So we have a, one person here from Ohio, two people who are not originally from Ohio. Tim, do you think that factors in to this discussion that native Ohioans are more apt to like Donato's? I think so. I mean, if you grow up around something, you're bound to like it more because there's the nostalgia factor, the fact that you grew up with it. It's something that your dad always bought for you when you were 9 or 10 years old, and now... Is that true for you? Well, Donato's didn't open for me until I was like 12 or 13, but kind that's of. Still, that still counts. Kind of. Don't make but, Tim cry, thinking about but, cats in the, the cradle. The town I was from, <laughs> which is... I'm from Brunswick, Ohio, which there was a YouTube... There was a video on Facebook that, that was out five months ago saying Brunswick must be the Guinness record holder for most pizza places per square mile. It's probably one pizza place to one square mile. You should go anywhere east of here. Well, I'll say I haven't had authentic like New York style pizza. I have had authentic Chicago style pizza. Yeah, that yeah, that's almost. You haven't had authentic New York style pizza. I mean, I've had like New York style pizza, but But not not in New York. Well, I've never been in New York City outside of the Newark Airport, but that's a different story. I've got a fun pizza story I got to share. That's about Pizza Hut, and I didn't get to experience this, but this is a Hawaii story. In Hawaii, and I only know this because my brother and sister-in-law lived in Hawaii for a few years. That's where they got married. Um, On Halloween, it is a tradition that everyone on the island buys Pizza Hut. Really? Yeah, everybody buys Pizza Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut makes like $10 million Halloween night in Honolulu? I'm guessing so, because... I didn't. I wasn't there for this, but apparently they had to come up with an entire plan of like, okay, when are we ordering the pizza? Who's going to pick it up? How? What toppings do we want? It's like a planned thing, 
And it's like <laughs> one day a year this happens, and I'm I as every time you hear this story, I'm thinking, man, what do the people at the Papa John's across the street think about this? They're probably just sitting there waiting for their phone to ring, and is getting spite cobwebs. All yeah. Papa John's should close, so it's fine. <laughs> Papa John's, yeah, Papa John's needs to have like a St. Patrick's Day promotion or something. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Caudill, who is a loyal listener, frequent tweeter, uh, says, why defend Donato's? Just accept that there are about 100 better places in Ohio to get the same style pizza. Um, that is part of this, too, is that I think even if you are, and there are people who like the square cut pizza, I realize this, do you have, the thinner square do cut you pizza. Do you have pizza in Ohio that you legitimately like, like outside of going to Giordano's? No, no, not not that I like over every local pizza place in on the East Coast. Yeah. Over, and that's what I always try to explain to Ari is, to me, it's not about what is the best pizza in your area. It's what is the baseline pizza in your area. Like, yeah. like when you say I am going to get a pizza, and I would prefer someone asked about local pizza versus chain pizza. I would prefer to get local pizza, mm-hmm. but. I don't think most of the local pizza, and I'm not talking artisan pizza. I'm not talking go get like goat cheese and arugula or whatever on your pizza. I'm talking about pizza pizza because just you can't just call a thing in the shape of a circle that's a crust and then you put um, pineapples and sriracha on it and it's a pizza. I mean it's not a – there's got to be three components, the same three components of, of sauce, cheese, and crust that make it a pizza pizza. Otherwise, we're just having a different conversation. The baseline pizza in Ohio I don't think is very good. Like the normal local pizza or the local chains. So that's why I'm more apt to get Pizza Hut or Domino's. Whereas I I would be less apt to do that on the East Coast where you can go get like an 8 or 9 or $10 pie. Eight big triangle slices with a nice crispy yet chewy crust. And that's – I'm not saying it's the world's greatest pizza. I'm saying it, that's that's what pizza is. Yeah. And so that and that to me is hard to find in Ohio. It's borderline impossible. If you're listening to this and you know what we're talking about, like traditional East Coast, a little bit of flop, triangular cut pizza, tell me where to find that in Ohio that's like not a national chain because I have yet to find it. And so like here's and here's actually some, I'm lying because there used to be a place near Ohio State's campus that had it. Yes. And I don't know what happened to it. New York style pizza or yeah. like Flying Jay's, I think yeah. it's called, yeah, right? It's and it's Fly Pie. Fly Pie. Fly pie. Yeah, Flying Jay's is Jimmy Haslam, right? They also have pizza at their gas stations. You know what? Not awful. Here's a tweet from Joe Smithy at NK underscore night one. This is an interesting point that he's making. Um I think hold on a second. Uh, he's responding to someone and I wanna get I wanna get the correct context of his entire tweet. Um, he is responding. Um, someone who said, "I only eat Donato's pizza when I'm in Ohio," and Joe Smith. He said, "I'm the same way. I live in Florida, so it's great to eat when I come back to Ohio. All the time, though, there's too many great New York style pizza places down here in Florida, mm. and that is a, that is a thing. I think I think if Donato's, if every Donato's in Ohio." had a local New York-style pizza place next to it, Donato's would be out of business in a week. Yes, I agree with that. What I appreciate, at least where I live now, I have variety. I'm not, when I say I like Donato's, I'm not, I won't get it every week. I don't think there's any pizza place that I would get every single week just because I'm a, I'm a guy that I'll go for a rotation about seven or eight different places. It's like the spice of life, man, a little variety. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, the la- like the last one I had actually was uh, from Toronto's, which is like a two-minute walk from my apartment that gave you a pretty clear indication of exactly where I live. 
Um, but that is a fan. I enjoyed their pizza. It was really good. Tim, let's not muddy the issue. We're talking about your love of Donato's pizza. You love it. Stand by it. Don't try to save yourself by talking about, well, I like lots of pizzas. We're focusing on your love of Donato's. Meanwhile, Rberg13 on Twitter says, anyone that votes great on Donato's should never be allowed to eat pizza again. Seconded. Jeremy Birmingham, who again, I think is in a 40-tweet war with people (laughs) over this topic. Berm says, frozen Totina's pizzas are better. Ryan, at Ryan underscore 1828, why in the hell is great leading shame on you all? And Chase Richardson, I, I, I don't agree with him whatsoever. But the, this tweet is stroke. I can't. This tweet just oh, shines. The fact that what he calls burnt frisbee pizza is leading with great right now confirms my suspicions of the apocalypse. Yeah. Just go back. Just if whenever you're listening to this, go read Jeremy Birmingham's Twitter feed. I don't even know who he's tweeting. I think he's just he's tweeting in a war with someone whose whose handle is at Scarlet underscore Gray underscore. And Berm just tweeted again, Donato's is garbage. Like, it's just, (laughs) he just is making the same point over again because the people who do not like it are very strong on it. It isn't even close to as good as Marco's, Domino's, Papa John's, even Pizza Hut. It's just really bad pizza, man. Sorry. Berm is relentless. Yeah, and someone tweeted at him, that's... At Scarlet underscore Gray underscore tweeted with a nice gif of Steve Harvey, you, sir, do not know pizza. And they also tweeted, your taste buds are garbage, respectfully. <laughs> so again, <laughs> and the firm replied, false. Um, I don't know. It is pizza. I, I said, why isn't there? There's sports talk radio stations all over the country. There's no pizza talk. Yeah, sure there is. You're listening to it right now. I know. Are we the yeah. only pizza talk station? I mean, if we did we're four hour, the market. We're, pioneer, we're pioneers. We keep saying, I mean, if, if someone just let us on a radio station to do four hours of pizza talk once a week, every Friday, one to five, pizza talk for four hours, would that not be the highest rated show? In Columbus, yeah. Well, not in Columbus, because Columbus is a trash pizza yeah. town, and people would be calling in, they wouldn't know what they're talking about. Well, but the question is, how long before, like, satellite radio would pick that up into a national show that all of a sudden would have its own channel? It is, but the one thing is, is just, like... Local sports talk is better than national sports talk because, mm-hmm. like I always say, you call in. Everyone always I always used to make me laugh. Like twenty years ago, when national sports talk, I don't know, was more of like a a big thing. It's like somebody would call up and be like, "Hey, um, I just want to talk about Sean Kemp. You know, he's averaging eighteen point three points a game in the last three weeks, and I feel like that the Sonics are using him to hit eighteen footers more when I think he should go, you know, play more with his back to the basket and let Gary Payton feed him. What do you think about Sean Kemp?" And the national host would be like, great rebounder. <laughs> and it's like, that national person doesn't know crap about the thing you're asking about. Why are you calling in? So you can't have a national pizza discussion because if you're having a national pizza discussion, it would just be about Domino's and Pizza Hut all day. But yeah. local pizza discussions, local pizza talk is where it's at. But if we, if we had a four-hour local pizza talk based in Columbus, I feel like we could change what Columbus pizza means. We could change lives. Yes. Even yours, Tim. <laughs> Listen, if you're out there right now and you're listening to this and your blood is boiling and you're thinking, why are these two East Coast a-holes bullying Tim, optimistic Tim, my Ohio guy, standing up for the Buckeye State, if you think that, we want to help you. <laughs> and if you're thinking that... Let us take you. We'll put you in a car and we will drive you... Come to Rutgers with us. 
to New York City, and we will eat pizza. It's just, you just don't, you haven't been exposed to the right things. Well, can you guys guarantee me true East Coast-style pizza? We go up to Piscataway next Yeah, weekend? just throw a rock and you'll hit a pizza place. Yeah. You'll fall, yeah. And by the way, can you imagine, this is I, this is Tim Bielek's new business that he's going to open in Columbus. It's going to be, remember on Seinfeld, and I always say I hate old white sports writers who reference yeah. Seinfeld, when the guy opened the muffin top shop and it was only muffin tops? <laughs> Tim Bielek is going to open the square cut pizza shop where we only serve the middle squares. <laughs> <laughs> we make these square cut pizzas. We cut it up, throw away every piece that has an ounce of crust on it, especially those disgusting corner crust pieces. And here, here is a square of cheese, undercooked cheese, that no human can hold. (laughs) Enjoy. Every time I eat it, it seems perfectly cooked to me. At least that's my opinion on it. We know where you stand, Tim. It's become pretty clear. Um, I'm just... Andy, at Sliding Scrapes. Columbus-style pizza is trash. Donato's is the best of a terrible bunch. Is it Columbus? <laughs> is it like... Is it? Is, is that it, a thing? Is it regional to Columbus? Is it like a Midwest thing? It must be regional to Columbus because I haven't seen any square-cut pizza styles in Cleveland. It's, I mean, I lived in Cleveland. I lived in Cleveland for a year and couldn't find good pizza either. Chase Richardson, our man, overly saucy cardboard garbage fire pizza. There he is. Well, I want to bring in a new oh. challenger to the pizza discussion. I got to bring up fast casual pizza. Uh, the, the Blaze Pizza. We're at a minute, tw- an hour 24, and we could talk for 45 more minutes about, about Fast Casual We'll do five pizza. minutes on Fast Casual yeah. Pizza. Yeah. Well, there's just... there's three big ones around here. Blaze, Pizza Fire, Mod Pizza. Pizza Cuccinova, too. Pizza Let's... Cuccinova. Well, that one is one I still have yet to get to, but I that's, will. That's the only one I've had. So, that's so here's the story on this. So it was your first year on the beat, right? Mall of America? Yes, and I wasn't 2014. 2014. We went to cover Minnesota. Ari, Bill, and I go to the Mall of America. They have a fast, casual pizza place in the Mall of America. Make your own pizza, right? Mm-hmm. Blows my mind. I've never seen it before. I come back, tell my family about it. Unbelievable. Can you imagine a world where we had one of these in Ohio? A year goes by. We're talking about it. Still a year later, we're talking about it. Adam Jardy, my good friend from the Columbus Dispatch, says, Oh, yeah, there's one down by the mall. <laughs> been there for like nine months i say what <laughs> you haven't told me about this now in 2017 i literally could drive for five minutes and get to eight fast casual make your own pizza places from my house i am you can't they're like waffle houses now they're everywhere i don't know how they stay in business but has this is this because everyone loves it does everyone love this thing now i mean there's the lebron thing but again they're all there's six if there's mod pizza is one that's around here. There's the Cucha Pizza Cuccinova. Mm-hmm. There's the Blaze. There's there's other ones too. For a while, there was like a there was Pizza Cuccinova and Cuccinova that I think because it's just the Italian word for kitchen. Yeah. So it's like I get it. Yeah. You say an Italian word, and everybody uses the same Italian word. Why are there so many now? It's uh, delicious. Yeah, it's a pizza you can get in five minutes. Where in the world can you get a pizza in five minutes? Because do you really want to wait 20 minutes for pizza where you get to get whatever you want on it? How do they five? cook it like at Mod and Blaze? Is it is it? It's a giant six seven hundred degree oven that like rotates around for three minutes. Because what I like cooks. about Pizza Cuccinova like, is like the the char you get on the crust. I think is really good. Mm. Yeah, I think everybody's got a char. I think the Blaze pizza is a little thinner. I actually thought LeBron does a pretty good job with that. Yeah, the, the Blaze he makes each good. one right. Yeah. yeah, I actually had that after the uh, Army game on my way back. 
Blaze was open till midnight, and I was the only oh, one there, so I stopped in and grabbed them while I was watching some more college football that you, night. You always have very specific... Do you know when you wake up in the morning what you're going to eat for lunch and dinner, what you have planned out for your fast food or fast casual restaurant choices? Because sometimes we'll say to you, hey, let's go get this, and you're like, no, I'm getting this. <laughs> and it's like, have you been planning that for like 10 hours? Did you say, hmm... Like on Wednesday, you said, next Tuesday... <laughs> I'm going to eat a Blaze pizza at 3.30 in the afternoon. No, no, I honestly decided that about like five minutes before we left the stadium. He was like, I'm thinking what's open at like 11.30. And then I checked my phone. And I'm like looking up Blaze pizza and whatever. Hey, it's open till midnight. I'll go there. Was LeBron there? Sadly, he was not. Was Kyrie there? No, Kyrie's in Boston or maybe he's still on first take. I, got a, I ate Kane's chicken fingers at like 4 o'clock in the morning the one night. After Ohio State, after the Oklahoma game, I think. I yeah. think he told me it was open. I couldn't believe it was open until 4 in the morning by campus, but it was awesome. Yeah, like that one. I used to live by that, uh, Canes, and that was a bad year for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think this podcast has been average. It's not been our best one. I'm off my game a little it bit. It a little disjointed. It was a little disjointed. Yeah, I had to leave for like 15 minutes. You had to leave. It's confusing because it's UNLV week. We want you guys to go read our 2020 stuff. It's kind of interesting, but it's also hard to make predictions about three years from now on the spot when Landis just drops on you like, hey, who do you think uh, oh, wait, who Minnesota's defense? Who roster is going to win a Heisman Trophy by 2020? Oh, for real? That's another question? Yeah. J.K. Dobbins. Take Martell, baby. Uh, Mar- I, I think J.K. Dobbins will be a three and done. I think it will go with the 2020 NFL draft. But by 2020, by yeah, by 2020. 2020, okay, then Dobbins. He's already on the Bovada board. I wrote about this in the breakfast. For you know who else on the Bovada board? Zeke Elliott, and guess what he didn't win? He was a favorite coming into 2015. I wrote like 50 stories about it. No. I wrote 19, <laughs> I wrote like 400 stories about Terrell Pryor winning the Heisman Trophy too. Where is Dobbins in the in the rankings? What he, number is he? He's a 40 to 1, which is not great, but considering he was completely off the board to begin with, at least he's on there. He's like 8th in the country in rushing? He's eighth. Yeah. He's eighth in uh, total yards. He's eleventh in yards per game. I mean, throw like ten dollars on that. And think, I mean, and again, his carries so far this year are twenty nine, thirteen, thirteen. Yeah. Which is pretty nuts because again, like, so he went twenty nine, thirteen. Now the one thing is Indiana threw the ball like maniacs, which didn't take up as much time. So Ohio State had more plays in that game, right? And plus they had no Mike Weber, but it's not like Mike Weber's taking his carries the last two weeks. They're just Mike Weber's only had like four and three. I think Mike Weber has seven carries. Um, they're just not using him as much. Obviously, when Army has a nine and a half minute drive, Ohio State's not going to have as many offensive plays. So that's part of it. But I do think J.K. Dobbins is on the Saquon Barkley path, which is awesome as a freshman, great as a sophomore. And then Saquon Barkley was one of the two Heisman favorites entering this year. And people think if you think Penn State's a national title contender, one of the big reasons is Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley as a freshman made your eyes fall out of your head. And I think J.K. Dobbins, after three games, is on that path. And I know Ohio State's had plenty of great running backs to compare him to, but that's the current modern-day right-now comparison. In my head, as I think about J.K. Dobbins, and I've been a huge Saquon Barkley fan from that day in Columbus when he lit up Ohio State for whatever it was, 190 yards, I think, in 2015. Oh, 2015, yeah. That's what I think about. That's what I think is on the table for J.K. Dobbins, to be that kind of back. And now Saquon Barkley is a guy that NFL evaluators are drooling over. He'll be the first running back taken, almost certainly in the draft. Mm -hmm. Um, J.K. Dobbins, you know, we have plenty of time to talk about. He's three games into his college career. We're not going to talk about draft status. But I think J.K. Dobbins is on a path to be awesome. Yes? Yeah, yeah. I think if you want to pick a Heisman winner, he's the obvious one to pick. But um, I'm riding the Martell train. Who's your choice? Um, I'll go Dobbins. I mean, if okay. he's gonna, he's got three years to put up monster numbers, and as much I think, it, almost as important as building up some 
being good in numbers, he got to have some hype in the offseason. I think now that Dobbins is going to be a known quantity for next season, if he continues his pace, puts up like 1,500 yards this season or potentially, he could get a lot of hype going into next season. It's funny to think about the way Ezekiel Elliott sort of eased onto the scene, that he was not a huge breakout star in 2013 as a true freshman. Mm Um, Dontre Wilson did more as a true freshman than Ezekiel Elliott did. And then by the middle, I remember, you know, we all remember it in the middle of 2014, everybody was talking about all the great running backs in the big 10. And I remember urban Meyer being asked about it. And I can't, it was like Melvin Gordon. There was a guy at Minnesota. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, who else who was, was it? it? There were like four or five guys in the big Langford? 10 that See? people, yeah. At Michigan state that yeah. people were going nuts over and people were writing stories about all Tevin the great Coleman. running, Tevin Coleman, yeah. all the great running backs, all the great running backs, all the great running backs in the Big Ten. And Urban Meyer was asked about it and was asked about these four or five other guys. And he said, yeah, and I like my guy too. And in the moment he said it, it was like the middle of 2014, it was like, well, that's of course what you would say, but it's not like anybody would, nobody would compare Ezekiel Elliott to Jeremy Lankford. <laughs> was it Cobb, David Cobb at Minnesota? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's like, hey. Ezekiel Elliott might be pretty good someday. I mean, we're talking David Cobb. Okay, Urban? So just slow your roll. And then like two months later, Ezekiel Elliott ran for 200 yards in every playoff game and won the Sullivan Award as the best amateur athlete in the country. Didn't get invited into the Heisman ceremony. If Ezekiel Elliott had done anything in the beginning of 2014, if he had not sort of backed his way eased his way before they sort of figured out what he was and what he could do and how much he needed to get the ball and the kind of offense they could be, he would have won the Heisman that year. Yeah, for sure. But but people were talking about Melvin Gordon. Marcus Mariota won it that year. I mean Mel- he was a Melvin very, Gordon finished second, I think. He was yeah. a very good I mean, Marcus Mariota was a very deserving it was Heisman. Those two winner. and Amari Cooper were the three. Yeah, because Ohio State played all three of them. Yeah. And and but then when you looked and you said, well, who was the best guy? Is he, as they played those three teams, it was like, well, who was the best guy in the field? Well, I mean, they the played. Guy who didn't get Ezekiel. a vote because he didn't go on his territory after voting was over. Yeah. So anyway, Heisman's are hard. I mean, it's like when you're at Ohio State, I feel like if you're a star at Ohio State, you have a chance. But they haven't had anybody close since Troy won it. I mean, Braxton finished fifth. That's not really that close. He didn't get an invite. He wasn't close enough to get an invite. JT finished fifth, didn't get an invite. I think in terms of, like, distance from the person who actually won, because it's, like, points-based, Zeke in 15 was actually the closest, I think, since Troy Smith, since Troy Smith won it. Really? Yeah. Okay. Even though he finished, I think, eighth, and guys have finished higher than him. Yeah. Like, JT finished fifth and couldn't have been farther behind Marcus Mariota. Right. So it's been weird, but uh, but it, which what which you know means at some point it's time. At some point it's time for. I mean, Alabama. If Ohio State's compared to Alabama, Alabama has people in the Heisman ceremony all the time. Mm-hmm. It's time for Ohio State to get somebody else to the ceremony. So, wow, we didn't mean to accidentally talk about football at the end of that well, pizza discussion. <laughs> okay, tweet at Tim Bielek. Tweet at us too. Listen, I'm a jerk. I have very strong takes, and you disagree with them. Tweet at me, but if you have to come up with a hashtag to tweet at me, because I think we said to tweet at Tim, tweet hashtag pizza crust. <laughs> Square pizzas don't have a crust, so tweet something else at me. I don't know what you tweet at me. Tweet at me middle slice. Hashtag middle slice, yeah. <laughs> middle slice. It's like a lifeboat to nowhere. Get on your middle slice and just drift away. Um, I'm literally sweating. It's hot down here, yeah. 
Is it was is the room hot or were the takes hot? Both. I think I think the takes made the room hot. Yeah. All right. He's Bill Landis. He's Tim Bielek. I'm Doug Lee Maurice. Read our stuff at Cleveland.com/osu. We'll be at the UNLV game in Ohio Stadium Sunday at noon. Saturday at noon. God, what did I say? I said the score wrong last time. I hope that nobody would would try to turn the game on on a Sunday. Um, Saturday at noon. Then we'll be at Rutgers. Uh, the following week, and actually, we're not that far removed from Penn State. We're 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 it's closer than I realized. One month, so that's coming, and that's going to be really fun because I think Penn State's really good, and I think Ohio State's going to figure some stuff out, and I think that's going to be a, a great game, and we'll have some good football to talk about, and we'll talk a little less pizza Penn State week. Until then, expect more of this. Go read our stories, Buckeyes twenty twenty all week at cleveland.com talking about three years from now what the ohio state football program will look like wednesday look for our projected depth chart which we're going to sit down and do right now which is going to be really fun to do and hopefully will be fun for you guys to read so for bill landis and tim bielek i am a sweaty sweaty wound up just sick to my stomach over some of what was said today doug lay maurice and that was buckeye talk